I appreciate the observations of uh, not only the vulnerability, but the shared vulnerability. features of a Dhamma life often is uh, uh, can reinforce or certainly collude with this sense of uh, you know fighting the fight against suffering alone and it's like a fight and it's alone. Um, and life is difficult. We just were touching aging and illness, the vulnerability of the body. But we know very well that life is full of stuff that is really hard to digest difficult relationships, difficulties with uh, making enough money or with housing and food and, you know, so on and so forth. and the ways we participate in systems where these internal pressures and hungers meet other people's internal pressures and hungers and what do you get, you know? Families that have sometimes some of the most severe pain, you know, what might be a place of comfort or refuge or uh, companionship becomes a play, can become a place of great pain and confusion and complexity. Or social systems where you know race and gender and age, sexual orientation become places not of uh, uh, tenderness and care, but of mutual harm or exclusion. This is what the grasping mind does. This is what the mind that is uh, lost in its passions and mired in discontent, grasping, will do. And into this comes something that can shed light on it of you know the Buddha's teachings, right? You've got this observation that, first of all, you can become more aware of your experience and not a slave to the conditioned reactions. That's that one observation, which is crystallized in our current culture in the ascent of mindfulness, is a very powerful thing. You add to that 
some of the observations of the Buddha's teachings on the functioning of the body-mind, this depth Buddhist psychology, this depth understanding of the nature of the hungering and the longing, how that relates to grasping, clinging, becoming, identity. It's constantly reinforced even as we perceive the world, the sense of self-perceiving it and perceiving ourselves and putting ourselves in boxes, right? All of that is can be observed in meditation, in a wakeful life, and it, our observations, our pathway through exploring this human experience can have light shed on it by this these teachings, the Dhamma. Powerful stuff. I've been very moved by you know, what I've seen and in my own heart, in my own practice. Very moved by the power of the Dhamma. And something that I'd like to perhaps bring a curiosity to if I were to condense it, would be something like, how much do we really know? How much can we really see? How much can the thinking and categorizing mind know of the actualities underlying this lived experience? So even as you hear my words now, <laughs> You know, there is something very complex going on here. Do we get that? Can it point us even further into what we don't get? Like, I'm having a th thoughts, these are thoughts that have been developing throughout my life, popping forth. <laughs> through the language that I speak, through the words I speak. But it comes from just something very subtle, unlanguaged, wordless. And I put it into words. Somehow I'm doing that. You're hearing me do it. And it goes off to you and you hear these words and you think you understand them. The sound touches the brain and it gets interpreted as words and the words get interpreted as this is what he's saying. And your mind goes, oh, I get it. And somehow we have this experience of mind touching mind. Do we really know what's going on here? So when I offer you this next reflection, how deep does it go? So meditation helps it go deeper, get closer to the subtleties of what's beneath the language and what's included in the language. It's not one or the other, right? And so the 
aspect of practice that I'd like to highlight now is how if we can dwell with experience, receive it, even if it's difficult or even if it's confusing, even if it's wonderful, can we receive and just let it in And in the language of Insight Dialogue, pause is the awareness. And then relax, receive, allow. Pause, relax. As long as we're, of course, in severe distress and tension, we can't even really let it in. And if it's severe enough, you won't even hear me. Literally. Because whatever it is that is threatening you or something has completely taken over all your cognitive resources. You won't even hear me. And if you hear me, you may not have the resources to understand me. And, you know, let's just sort of walk it back a little bit as you relax just a little bit. Maybe you hear the words, but you can't give any attention to that now. Maybe a little more relaxed and maybe you can hear the words and sort of let them in. But like, you know, whatever, a little... I can't deal with that now. Relax a little more, a little more. Pause. There's awareness. Relax, receive, allow, let it in. And maybe something can get closer. Life can get closer. Right now I'm just one aspect of life. So maybe life can get closer. Pause. Relax. And maybe I can actually dwell with experience. What is known by awareness can be stabilized. The knowing can be stabilized. Sati and samadhi. Sati is the mindfulness. Samadhi, the gathering, the calming of the mind. Pause. Relax. So we have a practice. Not we're expecting you all be relaxed. It's not like that. Just a practice. Pause, and how do you receive it? How do you receive, like, okay. So as you sit here now, for example, just ask yourself, is there anything in this moment of experience where I can notice tension? In the face, the shoulders. I can always find a little bit around my eyes because if nothing else, I'm trying to look at people, you know, or smile, relax, the throat. The belly. Kind of a letting down, letting go. Non-clinging, settling. we locate that feeling in our silence now. Forget the dialogue. Just this moment of silence. You might even uh, let the eyes close for a moment and see if we can locate a uh, more subtle aspect of pause Relax. 
And again, that's not just uh, that aspect of relaxing the body, but that's just where we can start a landing place. If there's tensions in the body, can they be released? Maybe not, but just find out. and you're offering yourself this guideline, relax. A little gift. Pause, relax. But it may be that in the moment of contact, the body-mind is excited or disturbed. Maybe someone has just said something that you find thrilling or that you find angering and the body is stimulated into that reaction or you feel you've been personally hurt or dismissed. And you can offer pause, relax, but you still feel the feeling, the emotion, the excitement. So just receive. There's the knowing of pause and the allowing. Pause, relax, allow. So letting, there's a letting in. whatever is known in the body-mind. Pause. Relax. Allow. Receive. practice. So even if the body-mind is excited or even agitated, the mindfulness knows the agitation and it's just received. You know, fight it. Pause, allow. It's like this right now.
So as we go back into our groups of three, you're invited to specifically work with pause, relax. And again, relax has this first layer, this touch point of just pausing, noticing is there tension that can be literally muscularly relaxed, but also there may very well be things going on in this moment that aren't going to just let go. They're not going to just relax. That's how life is most of the time, yeah? Pause, relax. Also is pause, receive, allow, accept. Just letting it in. Pause, relax, accept. Okay? Which helps stabilize the sati. Because even though it may not be as you like it, it may be quivering, it's just received and it's quivering and the sati continues with it. So it's a practice. And it allows for a greater subtlety of your insight dialogue practice of the part that involves the bringing the Dhamma into the moment, presenting it to the mind, pause, relax as it, you know, this teaching touches you receive and then you find what would be spoken and speak and as you listen likewise touches maybe it's exciting or aversive pause receive remain present with it as it's coming in there's a kind of a settling as you receive you can get down underneath it closer to the living experience and the reflection I'm going to invite is the third of these classical reflections, and it is the fact of death, of our own mortality. It wouldn't be unusual if, while exploring aging and illness, you've already touched this. Um, I'm just going to make a wild guess and think that you haven't yet exhausted the topic. Uh, so the invitation here, as always, is to, you know, have the teaching, the Dhamma, touch when you pause and relax and as you listen. But right now I'm talking about speaking. You pause, let it bring in this fact of your own mortality. You will definitely die. <laughs> I don't say very many things with confidence. This is one of them. We will all die. Everyone you see on the screen will be dead by the end of the century, probably. Some of us, by the end of the decade. That's just how it is. It's a fact. You won't be here. <laughs> There's a million ways we can say this. You find what's true for you, what touches you. And the response in this moment is not a concept. You will have some conceptual responses for sure, what you think about death and all that. If you want to say some of those, fine, but don't just stay there. And uh, 
you will have uh, time to settle and as your partners speak let it draw you further into pause, relax, let it draw you further into the reflection that was offered by the Buddha. And uh, take your time. Be curious about the nature of the experience, what edge this brings you to. Can this sharpen your mind? Your life? Can this take you beyond what you currently know? So you'll be in the same group of three. And the uh, timing for this will be five minutes for each of the speakers and then eight minutes together, which is, you know, longer, more ample. Let yourself settle into your practice. This is not just a discussion, it's meditation. The meditative qualities of sati and samadhi are being cultivated as you pause and relax. and explore this shared human experience of mortality, the certainty of death. You just don't know how or when. It's just how it is. Pause, relax, allow. A question that we're maybe asking is, can these um, reflections, can this Dhamma help us recognize what we don't know. As I was saying earlier, 
there's aspects of the teachings that aim towards increasing the clarity of mind. And there are teachings that uh, describe some of the basic function of the body-mind in such a way that Through better understanding, we can be um, perhaps free of ways of thinking, ways of acting that imprison us. And it, one of the uh, things that I want to watch out for on this retreat of ours is that it doesn't lead to an arrogance about uh, that we, you know, that we're going to figure it all out. Uh, that is simply not possible. And uh, I mean, I can definitely quote suttas that indicate that the Buddha knew this very well. You know, the handful of leaves or the grain of sand under the fingernail compared to all the sand in the Ganges River, stuff like that, you know. How much can you know? Just a fraction. And our minds have been trained by uh, both the uh, individualistic cultures that have emerged in Western rational thought, but also by uh, science to thinking that this I, this me, can figure it out and it's a means of control. And we fear the absence of control. Perhaps, however, there is something in what currently scares us, this unknown, this out of control, that is actually uh, a, a, a boost an aid to uh, a life deeply well lived. If I once again note how we recognize the Dhamma, it leads to dispassion, not to passion. Right? So if Passion is that kind of movement, not only with energy, but there's like an inhabiting, a fusing with the thing that we're passionate about. And in that fusion, we can actually uh, 
collapse out of that mystery to being unfettered rather than fettered the extent to which we're fettered by the rigidity of our constructs of how we know the world how we make the world how we categorize the world in order to feel secure and death for example is a doorway to that so-called wisdom of insecurity that's what Alan Watts liked to refer to to shedding not accumulating <laughs> you know if you're going to die and you know it what good is all you're accumulating but also if you understand that the world is vast beyond our limited perceptions our accumulations begin to seem very small and the shedding is actually a freeing into something that is perhaps beyond the confines of the rational it's not either or it's just to not be limited to modesty, not self-aggrandizement. How, <laughs> how does our temporariness in this life impact our project of self-importance? The contentment, not the discontent. Will we ever, ever get it all? The very thought, of course, is absurd. We're smart enough to know that. But somehow, bit by bit, we think, I'm not going to get it all, but I'll get the next thing, you know? And if we recognize that in this very moment, that this grasping is actually keeping us from the, the fluidity, the uh, fine-grained uh, quality of life. Maybe we'll be inspired to, to, you know, to not grasp, grasp so much, to not be so entangled And of course, death is famous for aroused persistence, isn't it? Not laziness. So, putting together this sense of the purpose of the Dhamma with this reflection on aging, illness, and death, you know, this doorway, seeing that as a doorway to include but go beyond also this 
notions of the rational mind. So perhaps we can take a couple of minutes to reflect together to observe if there's anything about uh, this doorway or this just about death that has in some way touched you, but also specifically if pause and relax is uh, making sense, is getting in, is supporting a meditation practice not simply a calm conversation, but something that is uh, refining all the meditative qualities. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.